everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. As usual, I'm going to be starting out by doing a giveaway for the Rad 2X PlayStation and Nintendo cables. Um, I've done very, very detailed videos about both of these things, so I'm not going to waste any more time just in saying that thanks very much to Rob for donating these and uh, for, for allowing me to use them as a giveaway. Um, I really hope whoever gets them needs them because I really think this is a very awesome plug-and-play basic solution for getting your consoles on a flat panel. So without further ado, here is the the drawing. All right, just like all the other weeks, we're going to be doing this in real time. Just make sure there's no funny business going on. Everybody knows that I'm doing this legit. And put it here. Once again, uh, I always filter out the word giveaway, but caps don't matter, and neither does how many times you do it. So you might as well only do it once. All right, and it looks like the winner is Elwook. So congratulations. I hope you really enjoy the Rad2X cables. Um, as I've been doing the past few weeks, I'm going to wait for you to contact me. So hopefully it's like a neat surprise where you get to hear your name announced on the podcast. And if I don't hear from you by Friday, I'll just uh, I'll try to contact you directly. So uh, congratulations and thanks again. First up, the same developer that did the Game Boy Advance core for the Mister is also working on a Nintendo DS core. Now, he's developing it on the Arctic 7200 board, which is a lot more powerful than the DE10 Nano, as far as I know. And as a result, he doesn't think that the full project will be able to be ported over to Mr. Um, it could be ported over, but would run at a reduced frame rate due to RAM limitations. Um, and there's a lot of details in this post. But uh, So I think the two things to take away from this is... Number one, don't expect a perfect DS core on the Mr. anytime soon. But on the other hand, I really love that there's progress being made, and I'm always looking to the current and next steps of things. So even if this ends up being a completely separate project that gets released however uh, the developer wants to release it, the fact that it's still going to be open source and out there means that whenever the next Gen D 10 Nano comes out, assuming there might be one, then it could be something that we look to in the future for a more perfect DS core. But either way, I just really love that there's such a, a good group of people working on all of these things and working on preservation of this stuff. Because, you know, 100 years from now, if you want to play these games, it might well be that an FPGA implementation is the only way you're going to be able to. So thanks so much for all the work and I uh, can't wait to see how this progresses. Everton is now selling two types of add-on boards for the Sega STV arcade platform, which is essentially the arcade version of the Sega Saturn. Um, one of them breaks out stereo audio, and the other one breaks out both stereo audio and the kick harnesses wired to both CPS-1 and CPS-2 harnesses. So if you already are somebody that has, let's say, a Capcom CPS-1 board and the wiring harness, uh, you would use that. Or if you have the CPS-2, which is also more common, commonly used on other platforms as well for people in the the whole home arcade super gun scene that make their own harnesses then you could just plug it right into that so a very cool add-on for stv lovers i've only played one stv before and i thought it was absolutely freaking awesome um, i wish i had the space and the cash to just start collecting all these amazing arcade boards uh, but for those of you that already have them this seems like a no-brainer definitely pick it up um, i believe fully assembled it's 25 for the full board um, including shipping, uh, and sixteen dollars um, with the uh, for the stereo audio only board. So uh, definitely check out the um, the links if you're interested. And I'm looking forward to messing with more STV boards whenever I can. 
Dan, a.k.a. Citrus 3000 PSI, has now open-sourced his 3DO RGB project. Um, I covered that a few months ago with a pretty detailed video for anybody that was interested in how it worked or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think it's really awesome that developers do this. You know, they take their time to build a pretty amazing thing. They sell it and get some some of their money back for compensation. Usually time spent um, isn't isn't equal to the amount of money you get, but you know, they're passion projects. And then when you're done selling it and, and making them, open source it and let other people kind of go from there. Um, it's a bit too complicated, in my opinion, for somebody to just make one or two of. However, there have been other stores like Castlemania Games that have picked up on these open source things and uh, and been able to continue selling them, uh, you know, with, with the open source spirit in mind, of course, just, you know, hey, this is an open source project, but we're also going to be offering it here. And I think that's pretty awesome. So if you have a 3DO I would consider this not just for the RGB mod because depending on your display and your scaler or if it's a CRT, S-Video and RGB are, are pretty close. Um, you know, once again, depending on how you use it. However, it's the 240p switching that really works perfectly in this one. Um, you know, I'd done the 240p mod myself manually to it uh, and it never really worked the same. Um, you know, I have the same top-loading 3DO that I did originally just did the, the 240p mod and added S-Video, and it, the the new mod that Dan has really just works so much more seamless, and the only issues are the few games that speed up if you play it in 240p mode. So, overall, I think it's pretty awesome. Please check out the, the review of it, and also, if you're wondering what good games there are to play on the 3DO, definitely check out the video I did with John Lenneman um, that went through exactly what you, you could expect, and the best games that give the most unique 3DO experience. There's a few announcements regarding the Darksoft Neo Geo ROM carts. Uh, first, both the AES and MVS versions had gotten a bunch of changes and mostly made up of bug fixes and tweaks. So it's really awesome that um, that Darksoft is continuing to test these and make sure to tweak them and, and really get them as good as they can be. It always makes me happy to see somebody continue working on a project even after it's been released because it's so easy to get bored of something and move on to the next. I definitely am guilty of that sometimes myself. So so it's awesome to see continued support for both of these carts. And also the price of the AES cart has dropped to $425, which is, uh, as far as I know, quite a big discount from what they were selling for. So uh, if you were looking to get into the Neo Geo ROM cart scene now, uh, I would still check out the video I did last year. It says ROM carts for 2019. Um, you know, I I think I did that just more as a clickbaity thing to let people know it's a, a new video, but the the basic overview is still the same. There's new features and new bug fixes for each. The dark soft carts load even faster than they did before, but it's still the same look and feel of each. And I think depending, you know, this is just an opinion. This is, you know, just the way I perceive it. But if you're somebody that's very much used to MVS and um, especially multi-slot MVS carts, uh, the dark soft the Darksoft cart and the way it works felt more like an arcade experience to me, and both of the Neo SDs felt like more of a standard ROM cart experience. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think there was a clear winner. I, th I really think it was just whatever fits your setup better. Um, of course, the Neo SD Pro does have support for Neo Geo CD games, but it is in mono, and they don't have the MVS version out yet. So everything's kind of a trade-off. I really think they're both awesome. Um, I've owned them both. I still uh, 
cousin Scott has the Darksoft one. I still have the Neo SD in my MVS, and I'm, I'm going to probably swap around again at some point in the future just so I could continue to get experience with all of them. But great carts. Definitely check it out. Uh, the only thing is I don't think the MVS carts are in stock um, until at least after summertime, so probably in the fall. So I guess if you're looking for an AES cart, now's the time to check it out because I believe all of these are probably in stock. Genovi just released a video called Secrets of the Sega Saturn 3D Control Pad, and I guess this was a continuation of what my favorite part of his analog controller video was, and that was all of the, the weird plans that Sega had for the expansion of the Sega Saturn 3D Control Pad. So, as we've talked about a few times in the past few months, the Saturn 3D Control Pad had a removable cable, and you would have been able to replace that with a lot of stuff that you saw end up on the Dreamcast. So it looks like it was pretty ahead of its time. A lot of the the um, the actual ideas did get implemented into the Dreamcast add-ons. But I still really enjoyed the video. And uh, you don't need to see the analog controller video to understand this one. I mean, I recommend them both because they're both pretty cool. But I really enjoyed seeing what, Sa uh, what Sega could have had in store for the Saturn. So if you're a Saturn fan, definitely give it a watch. The same developer that posted the 4MB ROM hack for the Sega Saturn version of Symphony of the Night just posted a hack for the game Ultraman. And it's similar in that there's some enhancing of the game involved, but it's most importantly concentrating on making it compatible with the standard 4MB RAM carts. I believe Ultraman was a game that had a proprietary ROM cart like King of Fighters 95, and they were not compatible with the 4MB RAM cart. So this hack allows that to be used with it and adds a, a whole bunch of other different cheats and hacks to it as well. So if you're a fan of the game, definitely read through this post and uh, check out all of the different enhancements and see how uh, see what you think. And uh, I don't think I've ever played this game. And maybe it was maybe one of the reasons was because I didn't have the proper hardware. So I'm certainly interested in giving it a try now. Um, as well as uh, I was trying to, to finally go through and play Symphony of the Night with the four meg hack, but I ended up getting distracted after like a couple of minutes and wasn't able to sit down and play it. So hopefully one of these days I'll have time to play Saturn version of Soten just to see what it's like. Another unreleased Nintendo game was just found, uh, a version of Days of Thunder for the original 8-bit NES, and the story of how it was found and reconstructed is something that would probably interest and put a smile on any old-school computer nerd's face. Um, I don't want to spoil the story, I highly recommend you read through the entire thing on GameHistory.org, but... The, the short overview is that they had to take backups on floppy disks, and not only did they have to make sure that they dumped each of the floppy disks properly, bad sectors and all, but then they had to find old-school computer software that was the same type used to back the stuff up to, uh, to actually restore the backup, and it had to be decrypted at the same time, all with, you know, 90s-esque level technology. So I thought it was very cool. Um, the game is, you know, obviously in an uncompleted form, Form, but it was still pretty cool to to be able to see it in action and see a glimpse of what could have been. But I think for me personally, the story of how they recovered the game is a little bit cooler than the game itself. Just my nerd opinion, but definitely check it out if you're interested. A few weeks ago, I talked about a developer who had made a do-it-yourself Raspberry Pi lag testing kit, where essentially you record a video of your TV and a Raspberry Pi, and the software lights up the Pi's LED at the same exact time that it sends a signal to your TV. So my conclusion was, awesome project for somebody who just wants to test one TV, but... 
it's not really something that people would want to use to test lots of stuff because it's a lot of effort. Well, that same developer has now created a newer version of it that's still in progress that uses a high temporal resolution brightness sensor. Brightness sensor. Um, so essentially, imagine a camera that you stick onto the Raspberry Pi, and now you could just hold it right up to your TV the same way you would other lag testing devices. Um, now, it's still in progress. I would still really like to test it on different displays, test its accuracy versus the standard way with um, I used to do it with a 960 frame per second camera um, and, and really just kind of dig in and, and see how this thing works. But the major advantages of it, <clears throat> one of them, of course, is that being that it's on a Raspberry Pi, you could save not only the results, but pretty nice looking graphs to the Pi itself. Um, and uh, there's actually examples of that on the main post for anybody interested. But, you know, that that in itself is a pretty cool thing. So that way you don't have to manually type in or save any lag testing readings. You could just, you know, take those and implement them wherever you want. But the other thing is that if you're on a Pi 4, that means you could test at least 4K60, but possibly even 4K120. Now, out of all the tests I've done with the Time Sleuth, it was very rare that I saw a TV that processed 1080p differently than 720p, differently than um, differently than 480p. Uh, interlaced versus progressive was always a big difference, but I'm not sure if there's a difference with 4K monitors and TVs. And it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility that you would get less lag running at native resolution than you would of any resolution that requires scaling. So I'm um, still going to be following this project. Um, if you know if it becomes a thing, I, I definitely want to purchase one. I think Greg from Laser Bear already offered to make a 3D printed shell for it. If any, if this project gets to that point, but I think it's very cool that this stuff is still evolving, and I'm really interested to see what all of these devices turn into because anytime you have more data about something it's better to or it's easier to understand and easier to to kind of put things into perspective especially when you have actual measurements like four milliseconds versus ah it's less than half a frame but i'm not kind of sure it's always better to have exact measurements so you could start referencing other things and see when lag really starts to matter i have a guess as to exactly when uh your average gamer and when your hardcore gamer starts noticing lag and it's a lot lower than most people think to be honest i think people don't know that what they're feeling is uh, is lag or variable latency but they know something's wrong and it kind of takes away from it. So hopefully with more devices like this, we'll be able to really get some hard numbers. Uh, there's also um, a very cool lag testing controller worksheet that's being worked on. I'll talk about that again at a different time because I want to put some time into that myself as well. But the fact that we're getting hard numbers on a lot of this stuff is important. And I'm, I'm really looking to see in the future how hopefully the shift is that people stop tolerating these junky high lag devices like those infamous generic cables that you could buy these days. So thanks very much to Alan Robinson, who's working on the project. Hopefully it all works out and it works the way he hopes. And I'll keep everybody updated as soon as I have the ability to test one. So I finally released the SNES Rad 2X video that I've been working on for a long time. And it was a total roller coaster to get here. Um, first, I was really sick back in November when I originally planned on releasing this thing. Uh, and, you know, I was able to squeeze out the weeklies, but there was just no way I had the energy to do a really high production video like this. 
And then by the time I got the video finished, uh, Retro Gaming Cables had already sold out of Rad 2Xs. So I just said, well, I don't want to upset people by releasing a video and then not having it be able to be purchased. So let's just wait a little bit. And I actually ended up re-recording some of the on-screen and voiceover parts with a friend of mine, and it turned into a collaboration video, which I thought was a lot of fun. But then the China shutdown happened, and then you know the rest of the world slowly shuts down, and it wasn't until just a few weeks ago, maybe even less than that, that uh, I got word from Rob that the Rad 2Xs were finally coming in, and they were going to be finished and ready for sale. And unfortunately, the way the timing kind of fell, um, I watched the video and realized... You know, first of all, whenever you don't watch something for six months and go back, you see it with fresh eyes. And I just went, wow, there is one entire section that could have been much better explained. Uh, there's another part of another ex uh, section that probably should be completely redone anyway. And then, of course, you know, I'm six months deeper into editing videos. So there was a whole bunch of mistakes that I wouldn't probably wouldn't have noticed last November that I'm noticing now. So I redid almost the entire video. Uh, and then it just ended up I didn't have time to to redo the collaboration parts either. So we'll put that on hold for another time. But, um, you know, we got it out the same day that uh, that Rob launched the cables and they all sold out right away. So kind of a moot point for, for waiting. A lot of upset people. But I mean, it's a it's a really hard gamble when you're a small company, right? Do you order a hundred of something and then go, oh, crap, you know, I should have ordered a thousand or worse. Do you order 10,000 of something and then you only sell 1,500? Like there's, it's, it's scary and you never really know what the right decision is. But uh, hopefully he'll get stock way quicker now. And with things opening back up, it shouldn't be another six month wait. Um, as far as the video itself goes, after hours and hours and hours of testing, the biggest surprise for me in this video was, was the N64 and how I felt it looked its best. Um, and what I didn't include in this video, because I thought it would have just added five or six more minutes that would have bored people to death, is I've also been doing testing on uh, all of the de-blur stuff for the N64 as well, and on a flat panel TV. So not on a CRT, you know, not... And, and I guess most importantly, on a flat panel compared to all other scaling options, I felt that the smoothing option that the Rad 2X and the RetroTINK products offer was actually better than any other combination of anything else. I tried turning off all of, or yeah, turning off the de-blur stuff, or yeah, turning off the blurring, <laughs> the factory blurring, to make it as sharp as possible, and then adding the, uh, you know, the Rad 2X smoothing filter. I tried, um, I tried every combination of software and hardware de-blur. I tried running it in higher resolutions or lower resolutions. And just the thing that stood out most by far was the filter made it look the best, regardless of the resolution and everything else. So I thought that was pretty neat. And I thought that was, um, I mean, it also I was testing 3D games. You know, the N64 didn't really have too many 2D games on it, but... I think in that scenario, it really takes the blocky look of the N64 that, in my opinion, hasn't aged well, especially on flat panels, and it just smoothed it out enough to really make it look good that you, you wouldn't notice it was as blocky as it was. Um, and then, of course, I tackled the whole S-Video composite thing, where there's still a whole bunch of confused and angry people out there. Um, I thought I was crystal clear about this, but... In the context of 480p on a flat panel, 
So we're not talking about using an RGB monitor. We're not talking about going like from the Core U transcoder into the OSSC to 1080p. I'm talking about 480p onto your average 4K TV. You know, whether it's whether it's a super fancy OLED or whether it's just, you know, the cheapest 4K TV you got. Um, I could barely tell a difference in bright scenes between composite and S-Video with the N64. Um, with the other consoles, yes, and I think the console with the worst composite video output, as would be expected, it was the AV Famicom, um, but it just it really shocked me how I didn't notice that much of a difference. And more importantly, and I think the most telling comparison in that section was when I compared composite video with the smoothing filter on to S-Video with the smoothing filter off. And I think everybody that I played that video to and asked their opinion unanimously said composite with the filter on looked better than S-Video with the filter off. So <clears throat> I still don't really understand people's people's frustrations about that. I think most of it was just people not understanding or or confusing scenarios. You know, there are a few people that get very angry because composite video and S-Video on their RGB monitor looked totally different, and it does. But I was trying to keep it in the context of plug-and-play cable on your flat panel TV. And really, even you know, as far as the filter is concerned, any kind of playing on a flat panel TV. With the N64, I really think that, um, you know, that Mike and Rob made the right choices in not including it. I think it would have added cost for a difference that nobody would have noticed. Um, while they are not the type of people to do this, I would even bet that if they just said that S-Video support was included, probably 99.9% .9 of people wouldn't have noticed. So it, it was that close. And it was something that I didn't even really believe myself until I started testing it. Now, of course, that's with 3D 240p games. You know, I was trying to be so clear about this. You know, with 16 and 8-bit 2D games, absolutely total difference every little detail you start to notice you know that the big splotchy colors and you know big jagged edges it's really just with the blending on the n64 so hopefully um i don't know, probably rambled too long about this but i just wanted to make sure everybody was clear so if you see people going off on a rant somewhere about this you could understand the context even better maybe people were only half watching the video but i don't know i, I just i thought it was pretty fascinating to me because i really went into this expecting uh, really expecting to have um, pretty large differences and expecting a different conclusion. But overall, I like the cables. Uh, I think N64 with the filter on is way better than worrying about any output uh, signal. And I think I still think the Rad 2X cables, at least today, are the best beginner solution for most people. And if you have a lot of consoles, of course, maybe it would be overall more cost-effective to get a bunch of RGB or S-Video or component cables, get a, uh, some kind of switch, and then get a scaler. But for just a basic, you know, hey, I have an N64, I have a Super Nintendo, I have a Genesis, how do I get it on my flat panel? I still think, at least right now, it's the best entry-level option. And not only entry-level, I do know a lot of people with fancy setups that, that still use these for just, you know, and in a time where they don't want something to be complicated. Just let me plug this in and have it work and not, not even worry about it anymore. So... Anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, I, I spent more time on this video than any other video I've ever done because technically I did it like three times, four times, which is why I've word vomited so much in this segment. So I'll stop. But thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. The GC Loader team just posted a firmware update that focuses on stability and uh, loading speed increases, which is always awesome. Um, so it's kind of a small update, but it's so easy to update a GC Loader. You just 
drop a file on the SD card. Uh, I definitely recommend doing it. And even if it's a small speed boost for uh, the decreased FPGA boot time, I mean, anytime you get a speed boost, why not? Especially when it's for free. So thanks very much to the GC Loader team. And also for anybody that hasn't been following the project, um, upon its first release, you had to solder a, a flex cable in order to install it, which I thought it was pretty easy, but now uh, it's just plug and play. You you unbolt it, which does take forever. The GameCube has quite a few bolts to it. Uh, but now you basically just disassemble the whole thing, stick this right in its place, and go from there. So it couldn't possibly be any easier. Uh, very, very fast, and I think it's, a, it's really looking to be the best enthusiast way to load homebrew or backups on your GameCube. There's a few other ways that are, I guess, cheaper or easier, depending on how you look at things. But, um, you know, if you're a big fan of the GameCube, this is definitely a must-have. Stika just posted an interview with the creator of 3D Sen, which is the 3D NES emulator that works either uh, just regularly uh, on a standard computer or in VR. Um, I have always been very impressed by this project, and I really wondered how it worked. Uh, and Stika was able to talk to the developer about all of those things. So it's a very short but uh, but awesome interview. So it's really one of those things that you don't have to set aside time to listen to. You could just kind of take a quick break and grab a cup of coffee or a beer or something and listen. And, uh, you know, as always, I think Stika does such a great job breaking down language barriers. Um, and it's just, it's really cool to hear. And of course they had Genovi do the voiceover for the developer, uh, just to make that easier. So that was fun to hear Genovi talking as a developer, <laughs> uh, but it's an awesome project. Um, I can't wait to try it out and I still haven't bought any VR solution other than a, like a $20 VR thing for my cell phone. So one of these days I, I really want to give it a try. And, uh, and this is probably one of the first things I'm going to want to test. I think the first thing would of course have to be a virtual boy emulator but uh, this is pretty awesome as well um, now the 3d sen emulator is available on steam as a early uh, early beta build but it'll officially be for sale on june 19th and will launch with compatibility for over 70 nes games so definitely check out the links if you're interested and um, i i highly recommend the interview it's just a very cool look at how something like this is even accomplished Crix has just posted a video showing off the features of the upcoming Mega EverDrive Pro, which offers Sega CD support, all in a normal-sized Genesis cartridge. Um, and he showed off a couple of features, some were expected, like Sega CD support. Uh, I thought, obviously, that was pretty cool to see, and something that I didn't think was possible until last year's Mega SD was released. Um, but he also showed off the virtual racing core, which, you know, it's already working in the Mega EverDrive X7, but it's still pretty cool to see that it continues to work. Uh, he also showed off save states in both Master System and Genesis games, which I thought's cool. I always like to see the Master System have some love. Um, and one very, very interesting thing, um, he added a NES core to the FPGA. So you're able to just load up NES ROMs and play them on your Genesis, which is kind of a fun bonus. Um, I don't know how weird I would feel holding a Sega Genesis controller and looking at my Genesis while playing a, a NES game, but I think it's, you know, it's a pretty awesome thing, either as a fun bonus or just for somebody that maybe hasn't RGB modded their NES yet or doesn't want to or whatever else, you know, this one $200 cart could do that. So I, it, I think it's neat. I can't wait to try it. I think it's going to be a novelty that I play a couple NES games on it once just to say that I did and then kind of go from there, but it's very fun that he added it. So 
Um, at the moment, there's no official release date, but it seems like the hardware is finished. The prototypes are all working, so it's probably going to go on sale relatively soon. And obviously, the moment it goes on sale, I will tweet about it. I will uh, you know, write up the post here and everything else. So uh, I'm interested in buying one myself to see how it goes, and I'll keep everybody posted. I'm sure everybody's probably seen by now that Sega decided to celebrate their 60th anniversary with something they're calling the Game Gear Micro, which is four separate colored Game Gears with a one and a quarter, less than one and a quarter inch screen, pretty much. Um, and, you know, this was the first time that I actually disagreed with a lot of the, the community about this. I think just my opinion that most of these classic consoles are toys and trinkets that are designed uh, really to touch upon people's nostalgia. So hardcore gamers can buy them and go, how cool is this? This looks just like the real thing. It comes with USB controllers. The box looks like the original, but mini. This is really neat. I'm going to probably play it once, but it's awesome on my shelf. And then you've, you know, at that point, you've spent all that money on something that sits on your shelf. So while I do think they're great gateway drugs, if you will, for people that aren't sure if they want to play old games because of nostalgia or if they want to play these old games simply because that's the games that they love to play. So it's really cool to be able to give somebody one of these and say, you know, hey, play it for a while and tell me what you think. And more often than not, people end up just playing a few games for 15 minutes each and going, that was neat. I get to feel like I did when I was a kid. And I, on the other hand, a lot of times people go, that was cool, but something didn't feel right in this game. And what was up with that game? And that's, that's a good thing. That means that, you know, you've determined that you're here for the games and not for the nostalgia and you could move on. Uh, and I think that Sega in this case probably skipped right to the whole, let's just say it's a trinket and uh, made it $45, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, you know, also hopefully like the rest of them, maybe it'll drop in price after they sell out a bunch of them and I'll be able to pick one of these up for 20 bucks. That would be even better. But even at 45, it seems like a fun, neat thing. The only problem is while there are four colors, which are great, I always love that there are choices, each of the four come with a completely different set of four games. Which is annoying, because while I certainly don't see myself sitting down and hardcore gaming on one of these things, I, I absolutely would see myself messing around for, just like I said before, for 15 minutes each, just to kind of experience them in a miniature version, and uh, you know, kind of just have fun with it. But now you can't. Now you'd have to buy all four. And also, if you buy all four, or I believe, I believe if you pre-order all four at the same time, Sega will throw in a replica of the original big window magnifying accessory, which also seems incredibly annoying. It was annoying back then. It's annoying now. I had one, and I don't know. I think I used it more to, uh, for glare than anything else, but I don't know. Uh, so overall, I mean, it's pretty cool, but pretty annoying about the games thing. But I do, I do like the fact that they're just embracing that, hey, this is more of a toy than anything else. Let's celebrate it as one. So people were upset that it was too small. I agree with the not enough games thing, but I'm just, I would rather see this approach and then just leave the, the heavy development, accurate recreations for the nerds that really care about these things. And hopefully who knows, maybe Sega will license their technology to a company that would take the time for it. But either way, it's neat. Uh, you know, if it drops to 20 bucks, I'll probably pick one up just for the heck of it. Uh, and if you're a collector of all things weird and retro, you're probably going to want all four just to be able to get the weird big window adapter. 
Well, that's it for this time. Sorry for going off a little long about the Rad 2X stuff, but that's been sitting with me for well over six months, so it was fun to finally get that out and be able to talk about it. Uh, but anyway, as always, thank you so much to everybody that watches and listens, who plays nicely in the comments. And of course, and especially, thank you so much to everybody that subscribes on Patreon, Floatplane, and YouTube, because it's you who is keeping all of this stuff going. The behind-the-scenes research, the weekly stuff, some of the crazier videos that I've worked on, it's, it's really all thanks to you. So please, you know, keep it coming. Thank you so much. And I will see you all next week.